Imagine that you're going about your business one day when you hear a radio report that your country is being invaded by an invisible killer. Thousands are dying. That would be stressful. Or imagine that you are systematically intimidated, bullied, and oppressed simply because you're a member of the out-group. That is stressful. Or imagine that the country you love was taken over by a wild man who is systematically dismantling the institutions of democracy. Or that climate change was threatening to make your planet uninhabitable. That is stressful. Hi, I'm Michael C. Patterson, your host for the MindRamp Podcasts. I'm going to guess that you have experienced some degree of stress during the last year. Am I right? Well, it's good that you've tuned in because we're going to talk about stress management in this episode. We are working our way through the eight cogwheels of brain health, eight behavioral areas that have a profound impact on the health of your brain, the operation of your mind, and therefore your ability to achieve qualongevity. Longevity plus quality of life. The Cogwheel series now has an introductory episode and episodes that cover physical exercise, mental stimulation, and social engagement. So now we're getting to stress management. Stress seems to play a significant role in all the other cogwheels. To a large extent, the risk factors associated with each cogwheel are detrimental to our health and well-being in part because they trigger a chronic stress response. So it behooves us to understand the mechanisms of stress and what we can do to manage them. Note that we say manage stress, not eliminate it. Stress is a natural response mechanism that evolved to keep us safe and alive, to promote growth and development. A stress response system that is working well is highly adaptive, but it is clearly a kind of Jekyll and Hyde type of behavioral response. When it is good, it is very, very good. But when it is bad, it is dreadful. Stress has a benevolent and helpful side, but it can turn into an evil monster when it isn't kept under control. So, how do we keep stress under control? The first step in answering this question is to recognize that there are different types of stress, the good, the bad, and the useful. Then we can focus on practical things we can do to optimize the benefits of good stress and to minimize the dangers of bad stress. Let's start by looking at the different types of stress. For our purposes, there are three important types of stress. There is acute stress, there is chronic stress, and then there is good stress, or what is called eustress. That's E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. E-U is Greek for good. What is acute stress? When faced with a crisis, our body responds with an elevation of stress hormones adrenaline, cortisol, for example, that activate a whole sequence of body reactions that help us take action to address the crisis. 
This kicks our bodies into fight-or-flight mode. Our mind is focused on the crisis and our muscles are energized to take action. In a sense, acute stress is short-term stress, and it is largely a response to physical threats. This is our survival response when confronted with a, a hungry lion or a malevolent bus. When the crisis has passed, when we have dealt with the threat, the levels of stress hormones decrease and the body returns to normal functioning. Balance, or homeostasis, is restored. So with acute stress, our psychological response has enabled us to let go of the incident and move on with our lives. Chronic Stress Sometimes our mind nurtures and cultivates the negative reaction to the stressor rather than letting it diminish and fade away. We continue to feel the stress as though it is still present, and our body continues to produce elevated levels of stress hormones. Our mind stays focused on the perceived threat and has trouble turning its attention to more important things like remembering to get out of bed in the morning. When our body is exposed to elevated levels of cortisol and adrenaline over a long period of time, those hormones become toxic. They start poisoning our body. Eustress or good stress. Stress is a kind of tension that arises in the body, physical, or in the mind, psychological, in response to some kind of perceived imbalance. This imbalance can occur in the external environment, or it can be some kind of imbalance that we perceive inside our body or in our mind. This tension is a kind of warning system, an alert system. Something is wrong. Something needs attention. The nature of the tension helps us to define the kind of action that is required to relieve it, to restore balance in our world, or to regain homeostatic balance in our body. We move away from pain and danger, and we move toward pleasure and fulfillment. The stress of hunger, for example, leads us to seek food. The tension of fatigue encourages us to rest and renew. Life is a process of adjusting to constant change. We have bodies because we need to move towards sources of fuel and away from sources of danger. We have brains to help our bodies do their job more effectively. And stress is the mechanism that helps our body-brain determine when to take action and what kind of action is needed. So in the spirit of not blaming the messenger, think of stress as a loyal and honest servant who is willing to deliver the news, even if it's bad news. Good stress is our built-in life coach that encourages us to do what we don't want to do in order to be the type of person that we want to be. Eustress is closely linked to motivation and ambition, which are forms of detention. Ambition is a stressor that identifies a gap between where we are now and where we want to be in the future. It fills us with the desire to expand our knowledge, to develop our skills, to explore our potential. And motivation is a stressor that moves us to take action. Without this kind of good stress, we would all end up as useless, unfulfilled couch potatoes. So to summarize, the identification of different types of stress gives us an inkling of how to approach successful management of stress in our lives. One, good stress, 
honor the role of good stress in your life. Pay attention to and cultivate the good stress that feeds your ambition and motivates you to take action. Two, heed stress alarm systems. Pay attention to the warning signals of stress and address them before they become unmanageable. Recognize when your mind is getting in your way and impeding your pursuit of happiness and fulfillment. 3. Acute stress. Stuff happens, no matter how well you have prepared. When you're faced with a high-stress situation, embrace the acute stress response to help you deal with the crisis. Avoid that bus. Then, when the crisis is over, manage your psychological response so that you can move forward unencumbered with unnecessary baggage related to the original stressor. 4. Chronic stress. Recognize when your mind is swept up in the torrents of a recurrent stress response. What can you do about it? Consider how much of this stress is caused by real conditions and how much is invented, nurtured, and amplified by your mind. You may not be able to change life situations, but you can change your mind. You can manage your mind. Take action. You can't change the past. All you can do is try to avoid getting yourself into a similar situation. So how are you going to do that? You can't predict the future. All you can do is prepare to meet the challenges as best you can. So how are you going to prepare? Whenever possible, convert chronic stress into acute stress. Break the big stressor down into a series of smaller acute stressors. Climbing the mountain is daunting and overwhelming, so just take one step at a time. You can cope with the stress of one step. The stress builds, you take the step, ah, you did it, and the stress subsides. No, but then you just have to take a second step. Well, there's a little bit of stress there, but you do it, you take the step, ah, the stress subsides. One small little acute stressor after another. Convert chronic and acute stress into eustress, stress that motivates you to take action, to affect some change in the way you behave and in the way you think about things. Stress has gotten a bad rap. Stanford lecturer Kelly McGonigal called attention to the bad rap that stress has gotten with her 2015 book called The Upside of Stress. She makes a couple of important points about stress. The first is that stress has become a notoriously familiar villain in popular culture. The second important point is that we have become so fixated on the evils of stress that we are blind to the fact that stress is a survival response and can actually be good for us. Stress is both good and bad. We are all acutely aware of the damage that stress can do to body and brain. McGonagall cites research by Alia Crum, also of Stanford. Crum found that high stress raises our risk of dying by 43%. This study looked at 30,000 participants that had died over the course of an eight-year period. From their data... Crum and colleagues extrapolated an estimate that over those eight years, 182,000 Americans may have died prematurely because of high stress. Note that it wasn't the stress that killed the people. The stress caused them to die prematurely. It accelerated the rate of their decline. So we all know that stress is bad. But here's the important point of Crum's research. 
In an April 2020 op-ed in the New York Times, Crum says, quote, Over a decade of research, ours and that of others, suggests that it's not the type or amount of stress that determines its impact. Instead, it's our mindset about stress that matters most, end quote. It isn't just the stress that does the harm. It's the combination of stress plus the belief that stress is harmful that does the damage. The way we think about our stress, our attitudes about stress, affect our rate of mortality. A number of people in Ali Akram's study reported high levels of stress. But within that group of highly stressed folks, some considered their high stress to be harmful, while others didn't see the stress as dangerous at all. No extra points for guessing which group was less likely to die. The folks who were unconcerned about their stress were less likely to die than were the folks who saw their stress as dangerous. The stress-is-normal-and-okay group even had a lower risk of death than folks who reported experiencing very little stress. So it's the way you think about stress, your mental attitudes about stress, that can turn stress into a killer. So, what can we do with that information? How can we turn this research into practical advice on how to modify our mental attitudes? Fortunately, Crum and her colleague, Kerry Leibowitz, have some suggestions. Based on their experience working with Navy SEALs, college students, and business leaders, they've come up with three steps to harnessing the benefits of stress while minimizing its harmful effects. Step one, acknowledge your stress. Step two, own your stress. And step three, use your stress. Crum and Leibowitz point out that when you acknowledge your stress and think about it, you move the neural activity in your brain away from the amygdala, which moderates your fear response, and into the prefrontal cortex, which is the area responsible for executive control and planning. In other words, you diminish the automatic response of fear and anxiety and ramp up your brain's ability to think rationally about what's going on. Instead of just reacting to a situation, we can begin being more thoughtful and deliberate about how we're going to handle it. So once you are in a place where you can think about what your mind is doing, you can decide whether your mental strategies are helping you or are hindering you. Then you can mindfully change to more effective strategies. Owning your stress is a way of tapping into the motivational power of stress. As Crum and Leibowitz point out, quote, we only stress about things we care about, end quote. So rather than flee from your stress, the advice is to step into it, explore it, and gain some insight into why it is so important to you. What core value is the stressor activating? With this knowledge, you'll be in a better position to use your stress. When you understand why the stress is important to you, what core values are being challenged, you can tap into these sources of motivation. You can use that motivation to convert acute and chronic stress into you stress, the good stress, the stress that drives ambition to become a better person. This is the action step where you take action to change your attitude about the stress and adopt the mental strategies you will need to deal effectively with the challenging situation. 
It's a fair bet that we are all stressed out about a whole range of current issues. How would you apply some of the stress management techniques discussed above to cope with stress about the coronavirus pandemic, racial injustice, prejudice and oppression, the assault on the institutions of American democracy, the existential threat of global warming and climate change? The important point is that we need to acknowledge our stress about these areas and step towards them, not away. We either manage our stress or we surrender and let our stress manage us. We manage our stress by managing our minds. We adopt attitudes about the stressors that empower us to take action, actions that are hopeful and optimistic. We discard mental strategies that weaken us and get in our own way, and we develop effective strategies that move us in the right direction. Stress is an alarm system that alerts us that something is wrong and needs to be fixed. Stress is the motivator that moves us to take action, to make ourselves better people who will do all we can to make the world a better place to live in for everyone. If this is the first Cogwheel episode you have listened to, remember to circle back and listen to the introductory session so that you understand how we use all of the Cogwheels to protect your brain from decline, damage, and dementia. Then if you want, you can catch up by listening to the episodes on physical exercise, mental stimulation, and social engagement. In coming weeks, we will produce episodes on the rest of the Cogwheels of brain health with sessions on diet and nutrition, sleep, medical conditions, and environmental factors. These and many more podcasts are available for free on the podcast page of our website at mindramp.org, M-I-N-D-R-A-M-P dot O-R-G. We would love to work with you or your organization to expand your understanding of the power we all have to protect our brains and sharpen our mental powers. So please contact us if you want to learn more about our education programs, training workshops, and our brain health coaching practices for both groups and individuals. There is a contact page on our website, as well as a link to a scheduling app that enables you to schedule a meeting with either me or my colleague Roger Anionson. But above all, we hope that these podcasts encourage you to do whatever you can right now to enhance your chances of achieving qualongevity your ability to live long and to live well 